just the Northeast has such a cool ecological history and fire history. Like, don't sleep on it, as the kids say. Welcome to Life with Fire podcast, the podcast that explores our relationship with wildfire and how we can better coexist with it in the future. I'm your host, Amanda Montai, and today we have Emily Dolhansky on the show. I've been wanting to get Emily on for literal years, probably, and I had a really good excuse to bring her on the show today because the Pine Barrens in New Jersey are burning. It's not all over social media, but it is at least making an appearance on social media. And as with every time the Pine Barrens burn, people are wondering, wait a minute, the Northeast burns? The Northeast has fire adapted ecosystems? And yes, they do. And we have Emily on to tell us all about it. So this is a kind of a quick and dirty episode. We recorded it literally this morning, April 13th. And we are putting it up in probably record time for this podcast. Usually it takes me quite a bit longer to get things turned around. But considering this was all over the news, kind of all over social media, I wanted to see about getting it up a little quicker than normal. Um, Emily is a great person to chat with about this topic because she actually wrote her master's thesis uh, at Yale about the Pine Barrens of the Northeast. She grew up going on camping trips with her family to the Pine Barrens. Um, She is now a forester in California and is really kind of an expert in all of this and um, was able to tell us a little bit more about the Pine Barrens, about their their fire history, um, and about some of the fire culture in the Northeast, which is a lot more robust than I think a lot of folks realize. So I learned a lot from Emily. Hopefully you do too. And I am particularly excited about this episode because, as I mentioned in this episode later on, um, a lot of our a lot of our listeners are actually kind of concentrated on the East Coast. Our biggest metro area is New York City, which is very surprising to me. Um, you know, like on my my analytics page, it tells you, you know, what biggest what big metro areas have the biggest listenerships, and you know, Denver, LA, Seattle, Portland, they're all on there. But New York City tops the list. I'm always surprised by that. It kind of has stayed that way for a very long time. So. Uh, This one's for you guys, East Coasters. I finally have an episode about the Northeast and really excited to share it today while it's actually pertinent and while you guys are seeing some fire, some smoke, um, and stuff happening over there. So without further ado, let's hear from Emily Dolhansky. Thank you as always for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I, the main reason I'm bringing you on, there's like a thousand things I want to talk to you about, but the main reason I wanted to have you on is to talk a little bit about the Pine Barrens um, in New Jersey. They're burning this week. And I think like every time the Pine Barrens burn, everyone remembers that there is fire on the East Coast. There are fire adapted ecosystems on the East Coast. Uh, so you seemed like a great person to talk about that because you're from New Jersey and you wrote your master's thesis on this, right? Yeah, so I wrote my master's thesis specifically on two Pine Barrens, kind of like individual forests. Um, One was in upstate New York, and the other one was in southern Maine. Um, So the the thing to, you know, realize about these forests is that um, they're kind of these like small, distinct, um, like, leftovers now from a period when we did burn more often. Um, So now they're just kind of small and isolated, as opposed to being, you know, like wide swaths of forests up and down New England, um, and the mid Atlantic region, which is is um, kind of more so the the original extent of the forests. 
Um, but my master's thesis was on, um, and it was never published, but uh, it, it was enough to get me through grad school. Um, <laughs> so I was looking at the stand structure specifically between these two. One was called the Clintonville Pine Barrens of New York, and the other was the Waterboro Pine Barrens of Southern Maine. Um, and the ones in Waterboro, um, they're both owned by the Nature Conservancy. And the one, you know, they have started to manage it um, over the last decade or so. They they did some thinnings, they did some burns, they did a combination of the both. Um, and I was trying to see like what, you know, effect those activities had on the forest as opposed to the other one in upstate New York, which has not been managed. It's just this relic ecosystem that the Nature Conservancy manages um, or, you know, owns but doesn't manage. Um, and a big reason they haven't really had a hands-on approach in that one is because um, of neighboring landowners' uh, opposition to smoke. So um, it was really interesting, you know, getting to visit these places and, and do research. And, you know, what I found is the one in Clintonville, um, the one that was not being managed, it's starting to convert to more of just a hardwood stand, which is like the natural succession of these forests if there is no human intervention. That's, yeah, super interesting. I'm, I'm curious to know, like, did the Pine Barrens have any bearing, I guess, on you choosing the career that you have? Did that, I'm curious if like, this was part of your consciousness growing up and that's maybe why you chose this this career path or if that was something that interested you from a young age or kind of how you found your way into this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern New Jersey, not within the Pine Bar Barrens proper. I grew up in like what is essentially Philadelphia suburbia land. Um, but, you know, every summer um, my dad would take us camping, you know, in the Pine Barrens. And I always, you know, like realized that, you know, even from a young age, like these forests burn, there are forest fires, I see Smoky Bear. Um, that's just like a thing that happens in the Pine Barrens. Um, and it wasn't really until I started to go to grad school that I realized like, oh, this is like not everyone in the Northeast's experience. <laughs> like this is actually very unusual. Um, but so I got my undergraduate degree at Stockton University, which is in the Pine Barrens. Um, I got my degree in environmental science. It was very like well-rounded, but I started to become interested in forestry um, my junior and senior years. And I had a really great forestry professor who basically like showed me, you know, how interrelated forests and fire were, especially in New Jersey. Um, and, you know, we we owned about 2000 acres of Pine Barrens Forest around the university. And so it was really like a living classroom. You know, we got to do prescribed burns like right on campus with the New Jersey Forest Fire Service. We, you know, I, I did like fuel modeling, taking Brown's transects and, and doing all that like right on campus. And it was definitely what, uh, you know, started my interest. Um, in forestry and fire ecology and definitely part of the reason, you know, I'm so interested in fire now in, in California was because it was, you know, something I grew up being accustomed to. Okay, this is kind of a noob question, but I'm curious. Um, I don't, I don't, 
want to say that I don't associate, but I don't really talk to a lot of foresters in my life and I probably should talk to more, but is it common to have this much um, sort of entanglement as a forester with fire ecology, or is this something that is sort of specifically um, or personally interesting to you? It's something that should be more prevalent in my opinion. Um, one thing that, that has always kind of interested me, especially about maybe the West a little bit more so than the Northeast, is that like forestry and fire slash fuels, I'm kind of grouping fuels and, and fire together. Um, they've really been divorced. And, you know, I don't go to a stand, you know, thinking that like, okay, you know, we're going to harvest these trees and then we're going to do a prescribed burn, you know, five years down the line. Like that's someone else's job. Um, and it has really, you know, I, I think led to a lot of conflict and um, maybe discontinuity in, you know, how we manage our forests, especially in California. Um, I don't think you can think about forests here without thinking about fire, but that has been so common in the profession that it's hard to like get back to a place where it's more integral. Hey, this feels like a pretty good spot to stop and take a break and talk a little bit about our sponsor, Mystery Ranch Backpacks. Mystery Ranch has supported this podcast since day one, and I cannot say enough about the products that they have. I used Mystery Ranch stuff well before they became a sponsor of this podcast. I used one every single day when I was fighting fire, and combined with all the time that I've spent with a Mystery Ranch pack on my back while skiing, it's safe to say that I've spent more time testing these things out than almost any other product that I can think of. So. Anyways, when it comes to backpacks, uh, if you want it, they've probably got it. And you can check out their website at the link in this episode's show notes. That's an affiliate link that will help support the podcast, help them know how many people are coming from uh, from my show notes to their website. So if you're in the market, go use that link, go buy some stuff, and support Mystery Ranch because they support us here at Life With Fire Podcast. All right, thank you for putting up with this ad, and let's get back to our conversation with Emily. One of the, you know, things that that came up a lot um, when we would talk about fire in the Northeast, and, and this was like kind of a big theme of um, the North Atlantic Fire Science Exchange that I went to in 2018, um, was that we don't really have a good historic analog to go back to um, in the Northeast. I think, you know, one of the recurring themes in California is like, this is how the forests were pre-settlement, and this is what we're trying to get back to. Um, with the forests in the Northeast and like the Pine Barrens, you know, it's kind of this null analog situation where we don't, you know, have the best, um, you know, historical forest to reconstruct. It's kind of in this like brave new world territory where it's like, well, you know, it's like, what do we want how do we want these forests to function um, and how do we want what like what kind of state do we want them to be in now, you know, as opposed to trying to recreate um, this historic structure, which doesn't exist anymore, can't exist anymore, especially in a changing climate. Um, so that's one of the, the big differences. Another difference is, you know, just how small everything is. Um, you know, there's really only a, a handful of fire crews that serve the entire Northeast, you know, they just kind of travel around, um, 
um, and support, you know, projects in other states. Uh, um, you know, like the New Jersey Forest Fire Service, which is a state agency, like compared to the, you know, colossal structure that CAL FIRE is, it like doesn't even compare, um, you know, so it's just a lot smaller in scale. Um, trying to think of, of other ways to, um, I think there's less, for the people who have been doing it for a long time in the Northeast, there's less of this fear of fire. Um, like I said, growing up, you know, it was just kind of as like something that happened, like there's fires in the Pine Barrens. Um, and, you know, out here out West, it's still like, oh, wildfire, that's a scary thing. That's something I don't want anywhere near me. Um, so I think that's, you know, a bit of a difference too, is just more of a, maybe not a widespread acceptance in the Northeast, but maybe more of a widespread awareness. Yeah. And I wonder, just because I have literally never been to New Jersey, um, but this makes me think I should probably go there. I'm wondering if there is much in the way of like a wooey component with the Pine Barrens or if they're pretty well sort of separated and like it's not as much of a concern for for homeowners that might be thinking that this is just going to like rip off. Um, I just I feel like it maybe is a little more compartmentalized. I don't know if that's a correct assessment of the situation. Um, It is pretty it is pretty urbanized. There is a lot of wooey. I would even argue that like the entire, almost the entire Pine Barrens are, are wooey. Um, you know, the actual footprint of the Pine Barrens is about a million acres or like a thousand square miles. Um, but there's a lot of development within that and development is limited. It's a national reserve, um, which is a very interesting um, federal recognition um, you know, it's not a natural forest, it's not a preserve, it's a reserve. Um, so although like further development is not happening at like such a large pace to, to cause a lot of concern, a lot of the structures that are already there, um, yeah, it, it's certainly a concern. I mean, some of the um, footage I've seen from this fire that's happening currently, the Jimmy's waterhole fire, it's like very explosive fire behavior and, you know, growing quite fast. I mean, 3,800 acres in New Jersey, like that's a big fire. Um, and I do believe it's, it's kind of burning in one of the undeveloped areas. Um, but certainly, yeah, there is, there is, uh, you know, a wooey component most of the fires in the Northeast are human caused. We don't really get lightning caused fires out there, um, unlike out West. So yeah, it, it, yeah, can be a concern. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know why my first thought would be that there wouldn't be as much of a wee component considering it's like the most population dense area in the country. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a bad misconception on my part, but perhaps a misconception other people have. I don't know. That's kind of part of this whole show is, is talking about my own silly misconceptions and getting them debunked. You know what? No, it's a, it's a great question because I don't often hear about structures burning down, you know, like what happened in Paradise, California, like you don't hear about that happening in New Jersey, despite, you know, being way more densely populated. Um, and I'm not exactly sure, like what the cause of that is, like the houses, maybe they're a little further spaced apart, you know, we don't really have the 
wind driven, you know, topography driven, um, huge runs that you see out west, which could be a contributing factor. Um, and because there is so much infrastructure, so much roads, so many fire breaks, um, it's, it's, you know, a built environment that kind of allows for better fire control. So from what you're seeing of the fire that's, I haven't had a chance because I only asked you yesterday to have this conversation and I have not had a chance really to look at uh, some of the news coming out of New Jersey. And so I'm curious if you can, you did kind of speak to this a little bit, but I'm curious, like what's, what's different about this one or maybe what's causing, you know, can you speak to any, anything that makes this one different or any identifiable things that are particularly interesting about this one. Um, I'm not really sure. I just feel like I see these big fires come through about every like four years, it seems like in the Pine Barrens. Um, and I'm just curious if you're if you're seeing anything that's particularly driving them. Um, yeah. I think, you know, a big contributing factor to this fire season in New Jersey so far, and it's hard to realize because here in the Northwest, we've had such a cool and wet, like unseasonably cool and wet winter. Um, you know, of historic proportions, but everywhere else in the U.S., um, and especially the Northeast, had a very dry, um, droughty winter. Um, so I think that's definitely contributing to some of the explosive fire behavior we're seeing. Um, you know, typically you get snow, you get rain in New Jersey, and it kind of dries out the fuels, um, but that might not have happened this um, past winter and you know the drought conditions and spring early spring is typically New Jersey's fire season um so these forests you know they're pine and oak dominated and so like right before the oaks leaf out that's typically the time when we get a lot of fires because you know there's no leaves shading the understory it gets dry things get hot you know someone throws a cigarette butt out their window and something catches on fire. Um, so I think just, you know, in a warming climate and with these more unpredictable winters, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this. And also like these forests, you know, even though they're kind of, you could consider them dry forests, but they're not like the forests of California, which had periodic you know, lightning fires and indigenous burning every like five to seven years that maintained like um, low fuel levels. These kind of, these forests kind of evolved to be, you know, episodic high intensity wildfires, especially without anthropogenic intervention, which is, you know, what we're seeing right now. There is like a huge misconception that still persists like when settlers arrived here that it was like this virgin forest this primeval wood um type situation which is really just a major misconception um indigenous people burned very very often if not annually um in kind of this like shifting agricultural re regime um, where they would burn for hunting and gathering um, and later for like maize and corn production. Um, so these, the what is now a forest is really just a relic of European settlement. Um, it's not, you know, something that always existed um, in such, you know, like that's what we think of when we think of the Northeast. We think of this beautiful forest that, you know, the leaves change color in the fall. 
but really um, there was a lot more open open forests, grasslands were were very extensive across the Northeast um, and these like barren forests um, that, that agriculturally didn't have a lot of value were much more widespread. Really since the industrial revolution, you know, the Northeast changed rapidly, basically. There was rapid reforestation, um, burning decreased substantially, um, one thing I, I've been kind of like brushing up on my, you know, Northeastern ecology. Um, and one thing that really interested me was after the, there's a very large hurricane in 1938 that like people in forestry still talk about in the Northeast. Um, and after that hurricane, there was this like big fear that all of the slash and debris from the hurricane was going to, you know, lead to a huge conflagration so the ccc actually like assembled this team to like remove and burn all the slash so that it didn't cause like huge forest fires after that hurricane and they were pretty successful um but yeah so but like basically you know a a very you know substantial decrease in human burning has led to you know more densely uh densely forested areas than than used to exist historically okay changing changing lanes here a little bit i want to know about something that's annoying you right now is there anything that's annoying you <laughs> oh annoying me like about the northeast and fire ecology or just fire ecology fire <laughs> ecology um i don't know whatever you want to whatever you want to talk about yeah well i think i've mentioned this on on twitter but there is you know this huge misconception that like the only place that burns is like the west and specifically california when in reality there is like no part of the continental US that like did not coexist with fire at one point. Um, and so, you know, we've lost like this, you know, historical and cultural um, connection to fire. Um, but it doesn't mean like, oh my God, this is so unprecedented. Like how can New Jersey have forest fires? Um, which is something I see in the media a lot. Like I remember last year, there was an article um, from the Atlantic that was talking about New Jersey and it was talking about the Northeast and it was like the Northeast, you know, should have escaped, you know, catastrophic fires. But so why are we, you know, why are we seeing them there? And it's like, no, we, we shouldn't have ever like escaped living with fire. I mean, it, it was something, you know, indigenous people did for thousands of years before they were forcibly removed and killed in the Northeast. So just like this conception that like, oh, you know, there's no need, you know, to think about fire anymore because it's just like some way back, you know, historical artifact. And really the only place that burns is, is California. Um, really every place, you know, needs fire and existed with fire for a long time. Yeah, I'm wondering how we can really even combat that misconception, but I am seeing like some cool things today. Even I just saw somebody, somebody like tagged me in this post about urban burning in Ontario um, or in Toronto, I mean, 
And I was like, yeah, this is sweet. Just like, you know, like a little, whatever it was, 20 by 30. I don't know how big it was. It was very small, but I was like, this is sweet. Like getting more people into the idea of burning even in urban areas. And it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. Um, and another thing that's interesting to me is that my biggest, um, the biggest metro area for my podcast, like with the most listeners is New York City. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, cool. People are like figuring it out, hopefully. Like, I don't know. All of your listeners in New York need to go take a trip to the Long Island Pine Barrens then because it's a cool place. Um, but yeah, right, getting- like it's not limited to California. You don't have to fly to California to see a fire adapted ecosystem. You can just like yeah. go to lo- like Long Island and Cape yeah. Cod. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really do think, I mean, we're starting to see this with prescribed burn associations in California and other parts of the West. Um, it really is just like, you know, education and outreach. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we had prescribed burns on my college campus. And even the people who were not in the forestry or environmental science program were like, oh, yeah, those uh crazy kids are out there like setting fires again. That's why it's so smoky. Like they kind of just knew, you know, that's what was happening. Um, And, you know, I think, I definitely think the tides are turning. I think, you know, in the age of the internet, uh, you know, information is so easy to access and and people are starting to realize this more. Um, Whether or not that's changing like perceptions of, you know, smoke from prescribed fire, um, I'm not sure if we've we've quite gotten there yet, um, but I, I do think things are changing for the better. Yeah, that kind of brings me to, I forgot to ask if there's a very robust prescribed fire, you kind of talked about this, but a very robust prescribed fire program in New Jersey, in the Barrens. And if there was yeah. like a, a concept or um, a sort of collective understanding of the smoke output of those, because those are very densely populated areas. So yeah, if you could speak to that a little. Yeah, there's, you know, it's scaled to the size of New Jersey. I don't know how, you know, many acres the state is able to burn, per se, in every in any given year. But I do think it's a lot um, easier to do prescribed burns just because of the topography. You know, it's pretty flat, pretty already open. Um, the forests aren't as dense as they are out west. Um, and... Yeah, you know, pr- uh, smoke management is is a huge part of it. Um, I do remember several years ago, there was an accident involving um, a firefighter and he was hit by a car during a prescribed fire and killed. So I think there was like renewed interest in, in you know, smoke management after that incident. Um, and it, it really just takes, you know, coordination with local governments and like, the air quality boards in New Jersey. Um, I remember when we did prescribed burns on campus, we had to um, coordinate with the FAA because there was an airport, you know, about 10 miles from the campus. Um, So I do think, you know, smoke management is still a big part of it. Um, But because these fires, prescribed fires are generally on a smaller scale, Um, I don't know if it's, you know, it might not be as big of an issue as it is out West. Yeah. Right. Um, 
It was interesting even to learn that there were a million acres of pine barrens. That seems like that was more than I had anticipated, but still, right. You can't, you can only do there's, you know, that's still not that much, I guess, in the grand scheme of how many, how many acres California needs to burn, for example. Um, okay. So I don't have any additional questions on the New Jersey front, but curious if you just have any, any other conversation topics that you'd like to explore any controversial opinions you want to share on behalf of <laughs> your employer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> My gosh, always. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, specific to New Jersey and um, the Northeast. One thing, you know, I kind of touched on earlier was just this like, you know, cultural connection to fire. And I think a lot of the times um, people only think of like indigenous people's burning. And it's like, you know, that was a, a culture that has been lost. So we have no responsibility, you know, to to take up a torch basically and, and reconnect to, you know, setting fires basically. Um, one really interesting like historical tidbit about the Pine Barrens is the people who settled there. Um, I think I mentioned that they're not really agriculturally viable. So it was just um, they, the people who lived there, they were involved in, in other industries um, that were not agriculture. And so um, there were people who viewed them as just like lazy, degenerate people because they're like, oh, they're not being industrious and they're not farming. So like, what are they contributing to society? And there was actually in like the early 1900s, this big campaign to like segregate the Pine Barrens from the United States and like, uh, and um sterilize the people who lived there because they're like we really like don't like these they called them the pineys they're like these people aren't contributing anything to society they're basically like crabs just shoveling food into their mouths but you know these people they continued the practice of prescribed fire and really maintaining the landscape of the pine barrens and so like the forced removal of fire because of the Weeks Act, you know, the fire suppression policy, it wasn't just like racist uh, in like light of California, you know, forcing indigenous people to stop burning. It was also like this class issue, like all, all these degenerates are just like setting fires in the woods and we need to segregate them. It, that's just like something that has kind of like persisted throughout the years. Um, obviously, we don't view people who live in the Pine Barrens like that anymore. But like this idea of, you know, the Pineys being kind of connected to that place. And a lot of the people who live there have lived there basically since since settlement. So I think like anyone is has the capability to like learn more about the places they live and how they can interact with their landscape and and you know even if you're not you know out there with a drip torch even just knowing about where you come from is is very important and knowing the ecology of a place all right folks that is what we have for you today we hope that this was insightful and that this helps you better understand uh, kind of what's going on in the news with the Pine Barrens and with some fires over in the Northeast. If you'd like to learn more about fire ecology in the Pine Barrens, I'm going to link to a project that Emily did while she was a student at Yale. 
um, not her master's thesis, but a project, and it's very insightful, very informative, kind of quick and dirty compared to what you'd expect out of a thesis thesis. So if you're interested in learning more, go ahead and check that out. And if you like this episode and feel like it brought a little more context to the conversation than you were getting from social media, if you could share it, that would be awesome. Share it with somebody who you think might be interested or share it with your social media followers. There's a lot of ways that you can support us and we appreciate all of them. And that is what I'm going to leave you with today. I appreciate you listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.